Imagine you picked up the most important book in the world, a book with words that can transform hearts. Now, imagine it was full of highlights and notes in the margin, and you could see how this book has transformed someone's heart. This is the Notable Podcast. These are discussions of twin pastors who share their underlining and highlighting with you. This is Season 8, a podcast on Genesis 12 through 25 and the life of Abraham. Well, Jonathan, this is a uh, <laughs> this is going to sound like a little bit of like a of a repeat or a, a duplicate here today. We are we are looking at a story. This is from Genesis twenty one to eighteen. And since this is a notable podcast, you might want to pull out your Bibles. We're going to be making notes in the margin. This is a. Uh, gonna sound very familiar <laughs> don't you think Jonathan like this is a this is one of those type stories that's what the scholars call it of Abraham um, pretending that Sarah is not his wife and we covered this for this is Genesis chapter 12. And, and so I guess I want to just say this, that um, if, you, if you don't remember that one or haven't listened to it, go back and listen to it. We're not going to redo that one here today. There's, there's a bunch of kind of sidelights that we want to look at with everybody. And Jonathan, you're going to name them in a second. But then we got the one big, I, I think one of the reasons why this this duplicate stories in the Bible so we can talk about conscience today. It's a big deal, huge deal. But before we get into conscience and before we hear Jiminy Cricket show up, you know, <laughs> what's the conscience, remember, Pinocchio? Um, what are some of the things, like why might have God, what are some of the purposes God has for duplicating the story, Jonathan? Well, one thing that we know about the Lord is uh, sometimes he puts two similar things in the world for different purposes. And <laughs> are you and, referring uh, to our, our twinness right I'm now? Talking about, I'm talking about your podcasting hosts. Just because they're similar doesn't mean that they're exactly the same and that God has the same plans for, <laughs> for them in life. That's uh, true. So um, this isn't a carbon copy. Um, I'm not even sure, uh, you know, Timothy, I, if I had to like use the, the category of human biology, I'm, I'm not even sure that this is really an identical twin. Mm. I, I think it's more fraternal. <laughs> Fraternals might be that, yeah, because there's, there's quite a few differences between the, the, the two stories. Yeah. That's true. So uh, I think it's helpful to think, think that way i've got you know i'm a, i'm an identical twin with fraternal twins at home right now and i i think there's a lot of similarities and but there's a lot of differences too and we're gonna have to uh sort of cipher cipher that out together here on this podcast i i think we gotta read it 
before I can comment any further, though. Like, we got to get get this out there um, for everybody to think about. And then I, I'd like to point out three uh, major motifs that deserve more time and then and then move into um, something that's really important here. Um, what do you think? You want to read it? Sure, I'll, I'll read it. That's So here it is. Now Abraham moved on from there into the region of the negative and lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while he stayed in Gerar. And there Abraham said of his wife, Sarah, she is my sister. Then Abimelech, king of Jer, sent for Sarah and took her. But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, You are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She is a married woman. Now Abimelech had not gone near her. So he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And didn't she also say, here's my brother? I have done this with a clear conscience and clean hands. And God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know that you did this with a clear conscience, and so I have kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet. He will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all who belong to you will die. Early the next morning, Abimelech summoned all his officials, and when he had told them all that had happened, they were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham in and said, what have you done to us? How have I wronged you that you have brought such great guilt upon me and my kingdom? You have done things to me that should never be done. And Abimelech asked Abraham, what is your reason for doing this? Abraham replied, I said to myself, there is surely no fear of God in this place. And they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not of my mother. And she became my wife. And when God had me wander from my father's household, I said to her, this is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere you go, say of me, he is my brother. Then Abimelech brought sheep and cattle and male and female slaves and gave them to Abraham. And he returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, my land is before you. Live wherever you like. To Sarah, he said, I'm giving your brother a thousand shekels of silver. This is to cover the offense against you before all who are with you. You are completely vindicated. Then, God, then Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech, his wife and his female slaves, so that they could have children again. For the Lord kept all the women of Bimelech's household from conceiving because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. So that's okay. a huge, huge story. And there's tons of things that we can say about it. But I, as a sidelight, and we won't be able to fill this all in, we got a few motifs that I know we want to go over. Go ahead, John. Yeah, there's so much to say about this story. Like, even as you're reading it, I thought of another thing that's that's worth talking about. Like here we have Abimelech who is, um, you know, vindicating Sarah before the world and how it is important for us to um, to do everything right in the eyes of everyone, to quote the Apostle Paul. 
And there's a, just a lot, a lot there. At any rate, um, we do have this story. Um, let's think of it as a fraternal twin, if I could put it like that, of um, our Romans or our Genesis chapter 12 story with uh, where Abraham um, goes down to Egypt here. He's still in the promised land. Um, so that's just a slight difference. Um, and I think what I want to do is just go after the three main thoughts and fill in some details to support it. Um, one thing that you, when you read a story like this, we notice the different characters. You do have Sarah, you do, you do have um, Abraham, you do have Abimelech, and there's other supporting actors too. But it does seem that uh, Abimelech, Abimelech and Abraham are the two big characters. And you can track the different characters. So like one of the things that we're not going to do quite as much of in this podcast is to track Abraham. Um, and Abraham's worth tracking here in a, in a couple different ways. One, and I'm, we're entrusting this mostly to your meditations, but on the one hand, he's worth tracking because what, what Abraham does here is he makes the mistake, um, and I'm not alone in saying this, thinking that uh, Sodom is everywhere. <laughs> uh, he paints a, a brush where um, he's afraid of Abimelech. Same move that he makes down in Egypt too, but he paints um, Abimelech with this brush of, 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 a, of a Sodomite. Like he's just this completely immoral, um, known or star kind of actor in the world. Um, and I think it's important to notice that the, um, this story does come on the heels of uh, Genesis 19. And it is possible in our lives, here's an application of that, it is possible in our lives when we experience the wickedness in the world to paint everybody with the same brush. And we can start as Christians, we can start coming at people and thinking, well, they're, they, they've got no conscience, they've got no moral compass at all. And um, we end up doing horrible things like this because we, we, have, no, we have no ability to trust anybody then. Um, and so Abraham um, perpetrates the lie. And we already we talked about that in a previous podcast. But it's really important for us as Christians when we're dealing with outsiders um, not to paint with. There are people of conscience. You know, Aristotle talks about how um, and and the, the our, some of our faith statements um, talk about how uh, people of conscience and, and people who are trying even they don't they don't have a grasp of all of morality um, they're out there and that's a that's a beautiful thing and here we bump into this guy and if I could just add a little bit further I think we see in the story. Abraham, in the end, learns what his calling was to the world. His calling, and, and we, it's, it's, our, it's, it's our calling, it's Abraham's calling to be a prophet and to, and to be a priest to people, to, to heal them, to bring God's word to people and to heal them. Abraham completely vacates his calling. He instead plays the devil and issues up a lie. And by the end of it, God, if you notice this, the Lord has repositioned him um, as both prophet and priest in relationship um, to the world. And so Abraham learns, like God repositions him. He calls him back to this. He's confronted with his sin. And Abraham learns, not everybody is Sodom. And uh, what you need to do is go out in the world and be the salt and the light that you are called to be. So that's one thing. And I want to stop there before I go on.
Yeah, and thanks. I, I want to pile on your comments here. It, it, this is one of the tactics that I use as a pastor sometimes, and I think it's helpful where something happens, an event happens in your life, and you're processing it as the therapists say, thinking, thinking on it, meditating on it. And I always ask people now, what are what are the lessons that we want to learn from this? And what are the lessons that we shouldn't learn? I, I think you got to ask both of those questions because in Abraham's case, as he as he watched fire rain down from heaven on Sodom, he didn't ask that that second question well enough, like what lesson shouldn't I learn? And the lesson wasn't, I should isolate, I should become a monk, I should I, I should always fear tremendously anyone who's not uh, with me, like I should become xenophobic. And actually Lot learns the same lesson from, from Sodom and Gomorrah, which he shouldn't. And he totally isolates deciding not even to live in Zoar, even though God had had allowed it in his grace. And it seems like his daughters talked about this a little bit last time. Um, we're, we're totally unaware that there were even other men in the world. So he, he becomes this absolute hermit. And it appears that Abraham was, was not too far, not too much different. So it, it's important, I think, that, um, we realize that that uh, Sodom, we don't want to paint the whole world with the same uh, Sodomite uh, paintbrush. Like even New, I was thinking about this here in New York. Like my daughters are at soccer practice. These are not these are not Sodomites. These are not Sodomites. We I can have a, a measure of trust that that the coach can um, be a good coach for soccer because of because of the remnant of God that is in everyone, the remnant of the image of God, which we'll talk about um, in just a little bit. Yeah, so I just think, okay, not everybody's Sodom, and the Lord does call us to live in the world and be salt and light, and it actually matters. It actually matters. I remember one time, um, there was a time in my life when the Lord uh, showed me that I was a little too cynical about people hearing the word and responding to it in faith. And uh, I thought about a, a particular person, oh, they'll never repent and turn to Jesus. And then they did. <laughs> and um, the Lord's word is so powerful. And we should never think that God doesn't have his purposes in turning um, people to himself. So that's one thing. And the second thing that this story um, on the side of Abraham is, is really, really um, thought-provoking about um, is that here we do see, this is the second fall of Abraham, if we could put it like that. Um, and we are on, we're in the book of Genesis. We have left it. So when we talk about the fall and the sin, um, you do, we talked about this in the first podcast. There's an interesting here, uh, Abraham is once again um, failing and falling into sin. And he's, he's the, like, he's, He's Eve, is what he is here. Um, <laughs> he's, he's a tempter, and um, he leads other people into sin. And so it's the second fall of Abraham. Um, and there's a lot to think about there. Like, on the one hand, it's good for us to think about um, what might be a prompt for us um, to, to fall ourselves. 
Um, Abraham does make a move here. Every time you make a major move, I've done that in my own life recently. Anytime you make a major move, anytime there's a big change in circumstances, um, it is so easy for us to go back to our old habits, um, to lose faith, to become self-protective um, and, and those kinds of things. And so we can learn um, that even Sodom, like this massive um, uh, judgment comes. And so when you have these massive junctures in our lives, it's a good time for us to really be thoughtful and careful about where our spirituality lands. So that's that's one thing that I think we can think about there. Um, but Timothy, what, what did you want to say about that? Anything there? I, I don't think so. I, there's probably one more major issue we want to cover, and that's the, the issue of marriage here. No, or do two. you have another one? I got two. one more on, on Abraham. <laughs> well, when, let, let, okay, go ahead. Go ahead. I think this is a really big deal. This is here. You have Abraham. The I've been reading in Romans, and it's re, it's reminding me how big a figure Abraham is as a man of faith. I think it's a very, very big, big deal. And now I'm talking to you Christians out there with sensitive consciences. Here, here you see the father of our faith fall again majorly. This is a major fall. This is a major problem. And here he does it again. Well, and it, just to add, to heighten it a little bit, this is after the promise is made that within a year, your wife's going to have a child. Yep. This, is, this is very, very problematic. And it, 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 it risks sullying the, not only the reputation of, of Sarah, but, but sullying the promise of the Messiah. Like the stakes are so high here. And yet here, here Abram is just, he turns into um, a liar. Right. And, and so in the critics, like this is such uh, it's, it's such a, a bad fall. If I could put it like, like this is such an almost unbelievable fall that he does it again, that the critics will come at the story and they'll say, wow, this is ridiculous. It's a du- it's a duplicate. This couldn't have actually happened. And to which my my response would be, um, have you ever lived life with a human? <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let alone a Christian, but with with a human. But it's also true of of Christians. Like there's a there's a whole thing. Like if I was preaching a sermon, then sometime I will. I, sometime I will. Like a, like a, a, it'd be it'd be a here we go again sermon. And there's so many of these here. There's so many opportunities to talk about this in the Bible, like where the God's people are in the wilderness and there's not enough food and there's not enough water and they do it again. They grumble or, um, you know, everybody loves preaching on the feeding of the, of the 5,000. You know, you know what they don't like preaching about the feeding of the four. <laughs> and it's right. It's an, it's a, it, it's that one's almost, that one's almost an identical twin. Like if this is a fraternal, that one's almost an identical twin. And it's and the disciples pull the exact same stunt. Mm. And or, or it's a breach on that, or or in Peter, like in um it's in Second Peter where like that that really he quotes the the proverb where a pig returns to its uh to the mud 
and the dog returns to to the vomit and and you go whoa this is just like a sinner uh to do this and abraham abraham does that you know abraham does that and uh, what that shows you here is the profound grace of god that when we are faithless he still is faithful if this promise was in any way um, contingent on the performance of Abraham, it's done, Timothy. Mm. But because the promise was based on God and his grace and, a bit, and his ability to bring it to fruition, it was secure. And that's finally what Abraham believes in. I, you know, so I'll, every uh, any struggling sinner out there, any Abraham out there, this is what Abraham believed. And you have to see this here clearly, that it was by grace that he was saved, not by what I'm doing Romans, because I was, <laughs> how can I not? You know, mm. how can I not? And, and his righteousness must come through faith, like extra notes outside of himself. It, this one, Jonathan, going through all of Genesis 12 to 25, has only deepened that truth for me. Like you, you have these ideas that Abraham is just this, this wonderful man of faith. But when you actually go through and you walk through the stories, you're like, what you did that? What <laughs> again, you know, like, but that's, that's his story. It's a sinner saint, uh, Abraham, we might say. One, one thing like the, the spiritual, some of the spiritual commentaries, on the scripture are so comforting because this is a story that can remind us that God even has purposes of saving us in our sin. Like even our sin, uh, Luther said that we should put a gloss, for example, on Romans eight, where it says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. And he said, we should put a gloss on that and say, even in our sin and explain it that way and understand it that way. Uh, and this absolutely shows us. And and um, how does how does sin help us? Well, it keeps us it, it keeps us repentant, keeps us relying on Jesus. It it, it uh, deepens us in the understanding of the grace of God. So there, God, the Lord has so much here for Abraham to learn about His grace and about His power and about His faithfulness to His promises. And there's all of that here for us too. Mm. That's really true. There's one there's one more issue, and I don't want to take too much time on it because I want to spend most of our time just talking about conscience. But th there is this question of like, how important is the sixth commandment? Like, you shall not commit adultery. And it, it just becomes a, a motif that runs through this whole narrative that to God, marriage is utterly sacred. And just to just to kind of support that with the text, God wakes Abimelech up in the in the middle of the night in a dream, and he says, "Yours." He says in in Hebrew, it's much more clipped. He's like, "Behold, dead." That's what he says. Behold, dead, like drop dead, Abimelech, because you have violated the sanctity of marriage. That's his reasoning, and um, it's interesting how much. 
Abimelech's very divided on this issue, how much he also uh, esteems and holds holy marriage, but at the same time despises it. Like, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But all of this, and then, so Abimelech's this man of conscience, maybe even a believer, I'll just throw that out there. And then Abraham, in this incredible reversal, is the one who despises marriage. Yeah. So, so you know, it's it's interesting. Timothy, one one last comment, and I I hesitate to say this because um, it, it's it's just our cultural environment that we're in. But one thing I've learned from it is I used to think that marriage and family issues, um, gender ideology, sexuality, I used to think that was more on the periphery. I actually think that the opponents of Christianity are dead on correct, that they aren't, they aren't a side issue. They are the issue. And that because, because the relationship of a man and a woman in a marriage is the very foundation, it's the very fundamental building block to all of human community. And so when God protects it and honors it, um, as he does, he just shows up. And in a dream, it says, you're dead. You're messing with marriage right now. Um, that That's a big deal. The Lord is showing us there something about um, how fundamental mar- like healthy marriages are to all of human existence. Uh, and us, like as, as Christians, you know, getting this on our radar, it, this isn't this isn't a peripheral issue. This is the issue in human life. Um, out, you know, our relationship with God, right? But then you have the fourth commandment. What is it? It's family, honor your father, and mother, and then and then and then and then, right? This is fundamental stuff. It is. It is. It is. So there's so much more we could say about these about all of these different things uh, again i'd like to encourage everyone to listen to our last podcast and and about this kind of duplicate story in genesis chapter 12 we have a whole thing about lying in there and and many other questions and uh, about it but for today and the, and the the reasoning behind talking about conscience comes comes from this perspective that in, in that first story, Pharaoh is an absolute brute. You know, he, he's a despot. He, there's nothing spiritual really about him. And the only way that God is going to deal with, with Pharaoh is, is through plagues. Like he's just, he's just coming down in judgment. With Abimelech, though, he this is very different and this is what makes the story different uh, abimelech god meets with him god has there's a theophany there's an appearance he comes to him in a dream like this is he comes to joseph in a dream right like this is i read somewhere that um only three people in the old testament outside of israel are appeared to and, and Abimelech's one of them. And I think that speaks volumes about who Abimelech is then. And we have to at least say this about him, that he is a man of conscience. 
like in in this there in the sense of civic righteousness this is a good a good man this is a good man and he his behavior his attitude towards marriage puts abraham to shame he's a in this in this story he's a better guy than abraham is he really is yeah way and better so we wanted to correct me if i'm wrong we wanted to look at at this confession that Abimelech makes when he says, I have done this with a clean conscience, a clear conscience in clean hands. So we want to look at conscience this morning in, in three different ways. We want to talk about, first of all, the good news about conscience. We, then we want to talk about the bad news about conscience and then wrap it up with the good news for all consciences. But before we do this, I wanted to tell you how important this is. This is, it's really important that we get this about conscience. And I just wanted to read a, a dialogue that is in the movie Pinocchio, because I think it makes the point. Um, Pinocchio says to Jiminy Cricket, what's a conscience? And, and Jiminy Cricket pipes right back up with this line. What's a conscience? I'll tell you. A conscience is that still small voice that people won't listen to. That's the trouble with the world today. And I love that quote because he—he, he, I think he's got a decent definition for, for conscience. That still small voice inside of you. We'll go more into that in a second. But also he talks about its importance. And he says, he makes the gigantic claim that the thing, what's wrong with the world is that the world doesn't listen to the conscience. I, I disagree with him. Uh, it's, that's not all that's wrong with the world. It, and, and it's certainly not going to fix the world if you listen to the gospel of let your conscience be your guide. But there is something uh, to it as well like the conscience is an important thing help me out here jonathan you know help me no, out. no i i i think you're right i want to say more about it uh, and maybe say it like this there's there's one little there's one little piece of text that is i'm really fascinated by um and if you're listening uh it's it's right there between verses nine and ten it says then abimelech called abraham in and said what have you done to us i asked him some questions um, and then at verse 10, it says, and Abimelech asked Abraham, you, here's, Ab here's Abraham having a conscience. Because he, he gets confronted by his sin, and he stands there shamefaced. We know that. He says, he's, he gets confronted. Um, he's at, Abimelech's asking him these questions. And what does Abraham say? Nothing. He says absolutely nothing. He's shamefaced. He says absolutely nothing. And the, and the gap in the text proves that to you. Here's and we're we're left to imagine Abraham being absolutely defeated because of what he had done. And it's only after Abimelech re you know asks another question. Uh, and so here's Abraham being a, a man of conscience, and here's Abimelech, um, you know, bringing it to him to his conscience. So the, it's, it's a big deal, really big deal. It's a big deal. So here's the first point that, that we want to make about conscience. The, it, it, there is good news 
that having a conscience is is a good thing. And I want to frame it this way, that um, having a, a good conscience as opposed to a bad conscience is um, it helps you sleep at night. <laughs> it helps you sleep at night. And so to, to show it to you in the story, here's Abimelech. And he had asked all the right questions. That's what the story tells us. Like he, he apparently had investigated the marital status of Sarah. So he, Abraham had said, um, she's my sister. And, uh, and Abimelech had it on good authority because he, he must have asked that Sarah had said to him, he's my brother. <laughs> and this is him acting with what the NIV translates as a clear conscience. So when God shows up at night and he says, you're as good as dead, Abimelech could respond by saying, hold on. They told me that, they, <laughs> that this was not a marriage. Like God, hold the phone for a second. Um, I've got, like the Hebrew says, clean palms. So he doesn't have blood on his hands. And um, I have a simple heart about it. In other words, my heart is undivided. It's not accusing me. It's not defending me, as it says in Hebrew, sometimes accusing, sometimes defending. His heart is just simple. Like he had integrity. He asked the right questions. And he did what he felt in his heart, according to his conscience, was right. Now we're going to critique him in just a second. But that, that is, you, that, that's good news for, for a couple of, of different reasons. The, the, I guess the first reason would be um, that God does give to everyone a conscience. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's, that's, that's really good news. We can we can suss out what's what's right and wrong. Like we, Jiminy Cricket calls it a still small voice. I I, I like looking at the word. Like wh what does it even mean to have a conscience? I like looking at the word et etymologically, where it you have the word science in there. So conscience is a kind of knowledge, and then you have the word co in there, which means that it's knowledge together with someone. Where we assume that it's with God, so it's. It's knowledge um, with, that we have with God about what is right and what is wrong. The, some of the reformers um, called it the remnant of the image of God. And it, it, it's, I think that's a good, a good way of looking at it. Like God, at one point, Adam and Eve, their, their thoughts, their will, their emotions, um, everything lined up with God and they knew what was right and wrong. This is, this is the remnants. Then the conscience is the remnants of that. And we all have it. I, I Jonathan, I like to think about, about a spiritual nervous system. So when, when you touch something that's hot, that's searing your hand, you pull it away. It's, it's painful. And the conscience is, serves as a spiritual nervous system to keep us from hurting ourselves by doing what is what is wrong and that's good news it's 
like I, I think about if you didn't have um, a, a nervous system and, and you, you didn't have uh, pain receptors, how, how bad that is for a person. Like you could be chopping off your own finger and not even know it, but, but you know it because of the pain receptors. And the same thing, the conscience is a good thing, it, even though it's painful sometimes because you know what's going to hurt you spiritually. That's good news. I got other good news, but I wanted to give you a chance to weigh in on that. Well, I think you got to do a thought experiment. Here's a thesis. The conscience is the one thing left in humanity that is stopping this world from falling into utter anarchy and chaos. The one thing. The one thing is the conscience. Mm -hmm. Imagine what would happen to our prisons, to our roadways, to visits and principal offices, um, to, to churches, to relationships, if everybody, if nobody had a conscience. I mean, it would be absolutely catastrophic. Absolutely, absolutely catastrophic. There, there, this, the, world, the world would be true how. Mm-hmm. And or to put it into the context of the story, if Abimelech wouldn't have had a conscience, <laughs> yeah, then Abraham would have been right about him. <laughs> so conscience you... is a tremendous gift. It's a, it's like a little meteorite falling from heaven. That still, we're going to talk about the problems with it, but it is a gift from God that that people still have it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's. There's good news in having a conscience for a second reason too, and. We're going to talk about different kinds of consciences. Here, I want to make a distinction between what the scriptures call a good conscience and then what some people call a bad conscience, or we could call it a troubled conscience or a guilty conscience. Um, a, a good conscience. And the Apostle Paul talks about this a lot. So this is not the same as the gospel, right, which we'll talk about later. But he, he calls pastors in First Timothy to, to live with a, quote, good conscience toward God. So that which means and this is a this is a, um, a helpful thing to be able to sleep at night for pastors, that you're not stealing from the church or, or sinning against God in some way. And this is true for everybody. I, I got stories like. I, I remember listening to someone tell the story of the NYPD busting down their door at, at 4 a.m. And because the person, their boyfriend at the time had committed a homicide. And so, so a person who has committed a homicide lives with a bad conscience, with a troubled conscience, with a, a guilty conscience. And what that means then is you can't sleep at night. Not as well, because somebody either, either the, the authorities are going to bust down your, down your door or God will. So like the, the, um, to have a good conscience is there, there's good news in that. I, it's helpful for us to be able to sleep at night. That's my big point. It was for Abimelech too. I'm, I'm still upstream from you a little bit. So I, I think that there's two practical applications. Um, one, one is this. I think we, I think in our modern world, we need to learn to distinguish the voice of our conscience inside, frankly. 
I think we need to distinguish the voice of the conscience inside. Um, I, th I, I, I'm going to posit something that I have no data to support. Um, so it's very dangerous, but I'm going to posit it anyway. I think there's a lot of people who are mistakenly going to therapy when they really should be going to their pastor's office because they're experiencing anxiety, a lack of peace, um, and they don't realize that underneath all of that unrest is a bad conscience. Mm -hmm. They actually don't realize um, that their conscience is producing um, those kind of emotional effects in their life. And so and it's so they're not even distinguishing like the guilt I'm feeling, the anxiety I'm feeling, that's my conscience. And they, they and they're going to their therapist and they they're not even distinguishing the fact that it, this is a deeply spiritual issue and it's a conscience problem. And so they're not distinguishing. So we, that's my first point is one, I think, I think we have to learn to distinguish the conscience um, in our own hearts. Secondly, I think that then once we've distinguished the voice of our conscience, to be a person of conscience, which we all want to be, we actually need to find times to listen to our conscience. <laughs> I, we, we have to pay attention to it. There, there are so many voices in our lives, so many voices in our lives. And you, you, this is what people do. Uh, and I know this because they told me this. Uh, they don't want to sit in silence. They're, you know, every time they're in the car, they turn on the radio. Every time they're at home, the TV is on. There's always a, another voice and they never stop to pay attention to that, that still small voice inside um, because it would kill them if they did. They're actually distracting themselves to death. And what I'm saying is we need to stop and pay attention to the gift of the conscience that God, and I think probably that means we have to turn off some of our devices sometimes and not turn the radio on the car and listen to what the conscience is saying. Mm-hmm. This is heavy stuff. Now we've, we've praised, I think we've done a lot of praising of the, the conscience, but I, we all, we also have to say this, that, that there, we got some bad news about, about the conscience too. And um, some of it, some of it comes because we, we don't want to praise the conscience too highly like we said that it's a remnant of the image of god it is not the image of god we have we have lost the the the, the image of god and so the the apostle paul put it this way my conscience is clear this is first corinthians 4 verse 4 but that does not make me innocent and so what he's saying right there is that sometimes our vo the voice of the conscience in us is not uh, it, it is misformed or misshapen, and we'll talk about how to get a a, a, a properly and biblically sound conscience in, in a in a few minutes. Um, but you can think about the conscience as like driving on a dark night. And, and you need glasses, like I'm a, I'm like a bat without glasses. I can't see a darn thing. And um, you can, you can squint your way to being safe for a while, but eventually you're going to, you're going to have a, a really bad accident. 
and that's kind of like like the conscience. The conscience, the conscience is marred. It's it cannot see the way that it sometimes needs to. And Abimelech's like that. Like Abimelech, he God comes to him at night, condemns him. Abimelech's like, hey God, I got clean hands, I got a clear conscience. Um, leave me alone. And God's like, oh no, <laughs> you're you do deserve to die. And if you don't give Sarah back, you will. And you're going to need, by the way, you need Abraham to pray for you. So, and and if you look at it even more deeply, what you find out is that Abimelech wasn't honoring Mary. He never should have taken Sarah in the first place, married or not, because he's got this apparently um, rather large harem. And and he's like, he's good with that. Uh, which is which is absolutely a, a violation of the sixth commandment. So Abimelech's Abimelech's conscience is what you might call seared, seared. Um, so so conscience can go wrong in two fundamental ways, and and we see that in Abimelech. And I I put it, Jonathan, I put it on on a scale. On the one on the one side, conscience can be weak. So the Bible talks about that. And then on the other side, it can be seared. We're trying to use biblical language. So a weak conscience is overactive. A weak conscience calls things sinful and wrong that are not sinful and wrong. Like um, as soon as you take one drink, um, you feel like you're a sinner or you you dance with someone and you feel like you're a sinner and your conscience is, is condemning you for that. It's like, it's like having your, your body's nervous system and there's 10 mattresses piled over a pee and you, and you lay down and, and it's just utterly painful. That's, that's what a, a weak um, conscience is. And then there's the other extreme where your conscience is seared so in other words, it's like your your nervous system has reached out and touched a hot plate and your hand is burned so badly that you, you, you can no longer feel pain. And so you feel the, the most extreme example of this would be um, a, a serial killer. The first murder that a serial killer must commit is the murder of, of, of her or his conscience. See, you have to sear it so it can no longer feel that it's wrong. And all of us are, we probably have consciences that are both weak and seared in different areas of our life, if that makes sense. So this is, this is all really, um, in a sense, bad news about the conscience. <laughs> bad news. Do you want to add on here, Jonathan? But what did I miss? I, I think you covered it well, and I, I enjoyed listening to that. You gave the biblical categories, weak and seared. Um, I, I want to make the applications now. Uh, the application of this is, um, uh, one, we have to realize that our consciences are a good guide, but they will never be God. They're a good guide. They will never be God. And that's because they aren't, they can make judgments about things, but finally the conscience is not omniscient like God is. And the conscience is not always right like God is. 
And so it, it, it makes a good guide. It makes a terrible God. And uh, as we think about that, um, it's important to realize, too, that our consciences are formed and informed and shaped so that even as we form, um, even as our consciences inform us, we form them. So this is why they're not all, this, they're always making moral judgments, but their moral judgments change as we change. And that's, what's, that's what that we have to realize that our consciences are always being formed um, by the people we're listening to and by the actions we're taking. We can kill our consciences and we can raise them up in, in certain directions. Um, and this is why people feel so morally certain on some issues. Um, and like we all change morally over time um, in our consciences. And so we have to recognize that. And I think the action step out of that is this, Timothy. If we can recognize that, that our consciences are formed and shaped over our lives, that we need to make sure that they're being formed in the right direction. Um, I was I was listening to a uh, interview of a college student recently, and he was reflecting on why is that demographic so so quickly and often dropping out of church. And he was very insightful. So you have this 20-year-old, and he says, you know, uh, people my age are dropping out of church because they're, what they're finding is their values are not, not mirrored back to them. And this is insightful. The kids, so kids are coming to church and they're like, well, I, I don't agree with these moral stances. It's, it's not where I'm at. And, and, and what the kid, this very insightful young man said is what we need to do is we need to be coming to church, realize that the church is not called to reflect back the morality that we currently have. It's called to shape us and form us. And uh, very, very insightful. Um, he's realizing that we need, we need to be challenged. We need to be formed by God's word in the life of the church. And it was our own dad. Our own dad taught us this, that, that our consciences can be shaped and changed. And he said, that what we need to do need to do is is keep sharpening our. That's how he always talked about it. He said you need to sharpen your conscience with the Ten Commandments constantly, so that um, it's not getting distorted and ruined um, and blinded in certain areas. Yeah, sharpening your conscience, forming it, shaping it. it so there's this bad news about the conscience and and. I guess there's there's good news about the bad news there that we have a, a, a precious, life-giving, light-giving word to um, light our way and, and to serve as that sort of grinding block, that sharpening block for, for our conscience. Um, and then <laughs> I think I think enough on that, because one of the things I know we've been talking about this, Jonathan, is that when, when you, we've gotten this far talking about conscience, but I, we don't want anyone to go home with, with just that, because what you have then is just the law. It's just, you're, you're just left with this chirping conscience that's rightly shamed, uh, shaped and, 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 and formed. And it's and it's just telling you that's wrong. That's wrong all day. This is right. Do this. Do that. And that doesn't change the fact that if I look back at my life and and maybe you, Jonathan, or anyone who's listening, 
I, I could point to moments at, at my life where I did a pretty darn good job searing my conscience. Or maybe where I had, a, I had a weak conscience that was overactive. And, and so really all of that would be really bad news. Like who of us could stand here and say, I've got a, a lifetime of having a clear conscience before God. <laughs> You'd have to be a liar. You'd have to violate your conscience again to say that you did. So what's the good news in all of this? And, and this, this story does such a beautiful job then prefiguring the best news of all, which is um, God wants to show us in the story that there is an intercessor who can go to God for healing for all consciences. And so, so God comes to Abimelech in the night vision, in the, in the, in the night dream, and, and he says, um, ironically, he says, you have to ask um, the guy who you offended, the guy whose wife you, you um, took uh, to pray for you. <laughs> and when he prays for you, or if he prays for you, then you can be healed from whatever uh, thing that, that his household was was suffering from. And so Abraham becomes this incredible mediator and intercessor who it has, who God grants success to. And I, I hope I'm building the case for everyone to see that what God is teaching us then is that what we need, what Abimelech needed, what we need is for someone to go to God on our behalf and and, and to pray for us, to intercede for us, to mediate for us. And who's going to have success doing that? <laughs> who's going to go up into the heavenly realms as, as a priest would? And who, on, on behalf of sinners, say, um, God, because of who I am, um, wipe their sin away, spare them. And have success in doing that. And Jesus is the one who has done that. And there is, there is healing in that. There's peace in that through, through Jesus' cross. There's the gift of eternal life. And for every single bad conscience, weak conscience, good conscience, seared conscience, um, this, is, this is the best news of all. It's the only news that matters and and this is where rest comes for every conscience that's what at the end of the day that's what this story is about it's about finding rest for consciences of every kind in the blood of jesus in the righteousness of faith that's awesome yeah so the conscience is a judge inside of you just to sum it up but it is not your ultimate judge. That is, that is our Father in heaven. And we have somebody who's prayed for us um, and has made us clean in his blood. And that does heal the conscience. And I want to just, I just want to, I just want to say this. Um, that's a really, really important concept for every Christian's life. Uh, the greatest pain, I, I'm just I'm gonna suggest this, the greatest unrest, the greatest pain 
a Christian, any actually anybody, can ever face, I would argue, is a bad conscience. I've had times in my life where I've had a bad conscience and I've literally been on the floor in a fetal position because I felt the wrath of God so fully on my soul. There's nothing worse than a bad conscience. And so that uh, some theologians will even posit that the flames in hell are actually metaphorical depictions of what your conscience feels in hell. I mean, this is how a bad conscience is, is, is the most horrific pain that a person can feel, um, bar none, a bad conscience is. And so what we're saying is the greatest rest is to be able to take your conscience and quiet it in the presence of God with the blood of Jesus. And that is the power of the gospel, is to be able, the gospel has the power because it's based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, where you can come into the presence of God knowing that you're a sinner. And despite the fact that your conscience tells you you're guilty, you know that because of Christ, you no longer are. That's true rest. Luther put it like this. He said, what you need to do with your conscience is you keep it in heaven. You keep your body on earth and you do the right thing. But when it comes to your conscience, when it comes to your beliefs about who you are and you're standing before God, you keep your conscience in heaven. Now, one last thing. Uh, I think we'd be negligent and my conscience would bother me if I didn't say this. <laughs> you never, this is, this is I'm, we're speaking pastorally. I'm speaking pastorally right now. As you live your life, we want, we want to be people of conscience. As you live your life, never go against it. Never go against your conscience. To go against your conscience is to attack your faith because it's, you cannot be confident in the presence of God. Never. I don't care how small it is. I don't, I don't care if you feel guilty about riding a roller coaster at a theme park or something like that. Don't do it. If you're going to feel guilty, other people are completely free to do it. It's not, it's not immoral. But if you feel guilty about it, don't do it. That's what the Bible says in, in, in the book of Romans. It says if it doesn't come from faith, if it doesn't allow you to live confidently in the presence of God, do not do it. Do not do it. Because what you want, what we all want to be doing is we want it, we want to be really realizing Jesus is Lord and we want to live at rest and at peace with a good conscience and a pure faith. I'm quoting the Bible right now, in the presence of God, through the blood of Jesus Christ. If you are moved and you want to support this ministry, please go to www.thenotablepodcast.com.